Okay, so let's get to the Word. Uh, everyone glad to be in the house of God this morning? I know I am. I always say this, but I'm excited again to preach the Word. Uh, if everyone can remember, a couple weeks ago, the last time I preached, we actually went through the book of 1 Samuel rather quickly, and I preached on the demise of King Saul, if you can remember that, if you were here. Um, we spent a lot of time in that, in that book of 1 Samuel, and you remember, the Bible has lots of good examples in it, but the Bible also has a lot of bad examples in it of people who show us what not to do. And you remember King Saul was one of those bad examples of what not to do. So if you can kind of remember all that stuff. Now, my, my family and I, we, we kind of do a little Bible study at home. And that's, that's kind of where a lot of this stuff is, is coming from. We went through 1 Samuel. We went through 2 Samuel. We're kind of in the end of 1 Kings now. So that's where a lot of this stuff is coming from. So I can't quite leave Samuel just yet. There's just something in there that's too good to, to move past just yet. So today, we're going to be in the second book of Samuel, 2 Samuel. Uh, it captures another extremely relevant story that is very applicable to us today. Uh, and, and that's one of the wonderful things about the Bible is... Number one, the Bible, the Word of God is alive. It is alive. This book is alive. But number two, it's relevancy. I love the relevancy of the Scriptures. You know why? Because the Scriptures deal with human nature. Though the Old Testament was written thousands of years ago, it's still applicable to us today because it deals with human nature. Human nature has not changed. Mankind dealt with lust and greed and vanity thousands of years ago. Mankind deals with those same exact things today. So this word is very relevant today because it deals with human nature. So I, I love the word of God. So if we remember that the demise of King Saul, remember he was the first king of Israel. And uh, he, the, remember the spirit of the Lord departed from King Saul. And that's kind of where our story went. And uh, Samuel the prophet says that the Lord, remember that the Lord has taken the kingdom from Saul and given it to a man after his own heart. And that's kind of what we went through a few weeks ago, and that ends up being King David, okay? We, we mentioned him just briefly, but we didn't get to talk about him too much. Well, that's what we have to visit today, and his story is captured, for the most part, in 2 Samuel. So, you remember, Saul ended up hating David. He hated him because the Spirit of the Lord left King Saul, stripped him of the kingdom, and then it was given to David. So Saul hated David and spent his life trying to kill David. But the story of Saul ended, the sad story of Saul ended with the demise of King Saul. You remember he takes his own life and even his son Jonathan dies in that same battle with the Philistines. And that's, that's pretty much was the end of of that story. So remember, King Saul is gone. Jonathan, his son, is gone. And you remember the prophet during King Saul's life was Samuel. He too is gone. Okay, so this is where we're going to begin our journey this morning. Is all those people are gone, 
And now we have what's left over. We're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And if you have your word with you, maybe put, keep in that book of 2 Samuel because we're going to be there a lot. Um, we do have a lot to get through, so I'm going to keep on pace here. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. So even though Saul's gone, he still has lots of sons and daughters. Well, his house begins to wane, and David begins to grow stronger and stronger. Now, between those two houses, there we're going to skip some of this, but there's lots of little battles and skirmishes between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David begins to grow stronger and stronger, and eventually he inherits the kingdom of Israel. He becomes the next king of Israel. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 4 says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. So David is now the king of Israel after Saul. It's been taken from Saul and given to King David. Now we have to stop there for just a moment because this is interesting, okay? I find this stuff very interesting. There have been many, 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 if you follow any of these kinds of things, many uh, biblical opponents have attacked the very existence of King David over the years uh, because of lack of uh, archaeological evidence. You know, David is a very prominent Old Testament historical figure, and many naysayers have said, we have no proof for David. David didn't even exist. See, I told you the Bible is not even true. We have nothing to show that this king even existed, yet he's supposed to be this very prominent king, and we have no historical evidence. So many naysayers have attacked King David over the years. Well, it's funny because in 1993, archaeologists found what they called the Tel Dan Stella. A stella is just a big stone slab. Uh, and it was dated from the mid-8th century, found in northern Israel with the inscription, House of David, or King of the House of David, which is written in Aramic characters. And it was the first historical, archaeological, hard evidence that we had that King David existed, which I find neat and ironic that history always, archaeology always corroborates the Bible. Isn't that awesome? There's all these naysayers, and then we find this stuff. Oh, well, I guess it was true. I just think that kind of stuff is neat, and I love that stuff. So, so David is now the king, okay? King David is king, and David is an, an awesome king. Actually, from David's kingship forward in the nation of Israel, he sets the standard that all other kings are measured against. It, it is King David. Everyone looks to him as he was this awesome king. All other kings, their behavior is measured against King David. That's how prominent of a king he was in the Old Testament times. So David is this king. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10 says, 10 says, And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So here's this awesome king with God on his side. Now you have to understand, King David, he loved the Lord. 
You remember months ago, I preached on the lion and the bear. And then you remember David went on to slay Goliath. So David has many, many tremendous feats that he does for God under his belt. Many experiences. Many times he walked through the fire, this king did. And he loved God, and God loved him. Actually, the, God, the Bible says it was a man after his own heart. So God loved David, and David loved the Lord. David would seek God. When it came to all of his decisions, all of his battles, and David was very victorious. 2 Samuel 5 verse 19 says, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So see there, it's just a little thing that we're seeing that David goes to God and said, God, should I do this? God, I need your mind. God, what are you thinking? And then God would tell him, and then David would do it. And guess what? It was a winning combination. A winning combination for David, and for it establishes David's kingdom. He would seek God. God would give him an answer. David would perform it. And guess what? It flourishes for King David. David loved the Lord. Uh, it, so after a while, King David wants to bring, you remember the Ark of the Covenant, that's another whole story. We don't have time to talk about all that today. But this Ark of the Covenant, uh, David wanted to bring back to the city of David, which was a, a, a small city within Jerusalem. David wanted to bring it back because anyone that had anyone that could host the Ark of the Covenant, oh man, they had the favor of God. The blessing of God would rest over them. They were a nearly invincible people because God's presence would be in that city, wherever that ark was. So David wants to bring it back, and there's some stories there that we're going to skip for this morning. We don't have time for them, but he brings this back, and then that's, if you can remember, when David dances before the Lord with all his might is when he's ushering the presence of God back into the city of David. That's how much David loves the Lord. He dances with everything. Everything in him, all of his might, he dances before the Lord. 2 Samuel 6.14 says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpets. So there's this great celebration because the presence of God is being brought back into the city of David, to the people of God. And man, they're just in love with the Lord, serving the Lord. Everyone they battle, they slaughter. No one can match up to David. All other kings are measured against David. David is a man after God's own heart. So that's how it's going for David. He loves the Lord. And the Lord actually takes it a step further and establishes a covenant with King David. Second uh, Samuel 7.15 says, But my mercy shall not depart away from him. Talking about God to King David. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thine kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So, Nathaniel was the prophet during David's time, okay? And God establishes this covenant with David. And he said, David, my presence won't depart from you. I'll establish your throne forever. So that's how good things are between the Lord and King David. That's how tremendous of a king, how much of a man of God David is. He has this uh, covenant 
established between him and God. And Nathaniel says, man, the Lord will never leave you. He'll establish your throne forever. Just continue to serve him. You know, after God establishes this covenant, man, David goes on a, a slaughtering spree from all his enemies. No one can match up. Remember when I preached a few weeks ago, I talked about how much the Philistines were a formidable foe to the Israelites. Even they couldn't stand up against King David and his armies. David goes after the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, and he just mows through all of them. No one can stand up. As a matter of fact, other little nations around there start seeing the strength of the Israelites, and they're like, uh, let's go bring gifts to David. Well, I want to be his ally. I want to make sure we're on good terms with him. I'm going to go apologize for anything we may have done because they're all afraid of the might of this tremendous nation of Israel led by King David. So 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15 says, uh, And David reigned over all Israel, and David ex executed judgment and justice unto all his people. So David was just, and he had this tremendous kingdom. You know, things are just going great for King David until we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Okay? Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, we'll start in. It says, And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Verse 5 says, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Here's where things just hit the fan. David has screwed up. Instead of nipping this temptation in the bud, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to look at that, he gives in. He couldn't help himself. He just had to have her. So he takes her. He, he inquires about her and says, give me her. They say, hey, that's someone else's that's someone else's wife. David says, I don't care. Bring her to me. And he takes her. And now she's pregnant. Now David has a problem. He's got someone else's wife pregnant. He's got a mess on his hands. So what's he do? Well, what does human nature tell us to do? Cover our tracks. We got to hide this thing. I can't let anyone know this happened. We got to shovel some dirt on this, cover this all up, send her away, make sure this is all good. I got to cover my tracks because this is a major blunder. David is supposed to be the king. Who's the king? He represents Israel. What is Israel? It represents the people of God. David is supposed to represent the people of God to the world. And here he is, couldn't help himself, had to have this woman that he saw. Now she's pregnant. We got a problem. David has a problem on his hands. He's got to cover it up. So he schemes up this plan to, to cover up his tracks. Okay? Second Samuel verse, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 6. 
says, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite, the husband. And Joab sent, to Uri- sent Uriah to David. Now, not many people realize that Uriah is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. I think it's in the 28th chapter of this same book. It mentions that Uriah is one of the very few valiant, I think he's one of 37 valiant men of war for David. So it ain't just like he's Joe Blow. It's one of David's trusted men that has fought many battles that does any of his bidding for David, for the kingdom of Israel, for God. I'll do it. You want to send me in there? I'll go. I'll fight them. That's who Uriah is. Okay? So, so Joab sends Uriah, the Hittite, the husband, to David. Verse 7 says, And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Didn't you come from a far journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Listen to this now, verse 11. And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Uriah the Hittite was an honorable man. He believed in God. He believed in the nation of Israel. And he said, man, since my comrades are out there fighting, they're sleeping in a field somewhere. They're laying with injuries and there's a battle going on. I'm not going to come back and live the good life while my friends are out there battling. So he sleeps on the porch of King David's palace. That's how honorable of a man Uriah is. Such an awesome guy that he is. Well, David tries to say, hey, here's some food. Just go home and rest a little while. Why does he say that? So he can cover his tracks. Go home, be with your wife, relax a little bit. Because David, remember, this is his scheme that he's trying to cover his tracks. See, because if, if Uriah goes home and lays with his wife, then nobody being none the wiser. Well, David is unable to manipulate Uriah, Okay? So then he goes on to get Uriah drunk. He starts giving him a whole bunch of wine. And he, you know, if, I, if I get him drunk, well, then he'll go home. But he still wouldn't. He slept on the front porch again. So David, problem, his problem still exists. He's having a hard time covering his tracks. So Bathsheba is pregnant, and David can't manipulate Uriah. So this problem is still there. Okay, so then what's David do? And he's got to take it a step further. How many of you have ever made a blunder and you try to cover it up and it just makes things worse? Oh, it just makes, it just compounds it. You know, we always hear that little thing about a white lie. You tell a little white lie and then to, you get caught for that, you've got to cover it up with a bigger one and a bigger one. And then it becomes this giant mess where if you would have just told the truth from the beginning how much trouble you could avoid. That's what's going on here with David. He's, 
He's in trouble. He's done something. He's hiding something. And it's getting bigger and bigger. Like a snowball. As you roll it, it just starts getting bigger and bigger. That's what's going on here. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14 says, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. Do you realize that David, he's scheming this all up, and he writes to Joab. Joab's the commander of his army. He writes to Joab and says, hey, put Uriah up there. I want him dead. He sends it, and he seals it, and he gives it to Uriah. Uriah is so honorable, he takes it, does not read it. He takes it and delivers. He does his job, doesn't read it, even though that message he's carrying is going to betray him. And say, hey, leave him out where the battle's the fiercest. And then when the battle's going on, everybody else back off and leave him out there. And guess what? This time, it works. David is, or Uriah is slain. All of his friends back off because they're commanded to. That's what the boss said. We got to do what the boss said. And Uriah's out there all by himself and he ends up getting killed. Fighting for the nation of Israel. Well, it's problem solved, right? Uriah's dead. He's out of the picture. Problem solved. Uh, maybe David's thinking, I can just tell everyone. Hey, he must have, must have been with his wife before he died. And here's this baby. Problem solved. David's schemed, worked. He got rid of the problem. David's free and clear now. Now let's keep reading and see if that's how it works out. Second Samuel 11 verse 26 says, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead... She mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. And she became his wife and bare him a son. Listen, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Brothers and sisters, David had one little flaw in his plan. See, David thinks it's worked. He's dead. He won't know. He won't find out. Nobody's none the wiser. It's all good now, but he forgot the all-seeing eye of God. Brothers and sisters, there is not a thing in this world that we can hide from the all-seeing eye of God. I don't care how much dirt you shovel up on what you've done. God sees it, and the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God was there. He saw it. He observed the conduct of his chosen one. David is supposed to represent the nation of Israel to the world. He's supposed to be a king. But there he is creating this giant mess and then covering his tracks. Thinking that, well, Uriah's gone, maybe this will all blow over. But that's, that's not how it works out. God sees those secret things in our lives. He does. You know what? I, I want a life where I... I can be open all the time and transparent all the time. Nothing hidden in Jason D. That's what I want. Nothing hidden in me. What you see is what you get. You know why? Because I don't have to walk around with things hidden, with a guilty conscience, knowing that there's skeletons in my closet and things buried. I don't want that. I want to be completely transparent. 
Oh, because He sees the things we cover up. Oh man, He sees. He sees. I don't care if you do it in the darkness of night, behind closed doors. No other people know. Your pastor doesn't know. Your wife doesn't know. Your husband doesn't know. Your friends don't know. He sees it. Be sure of that. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Lord's just not going to sit back and let this blow over. Uh-uh. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord sent Nathan, remember he's the prophet, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the one poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was as unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flocks and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Listen now. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said unto Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Brothers and sisters, you can't make a story up like this, as crazy as this is getting. You see, uh, Nathaniel the prophet comes, and he's speaking the word of Lord, the Lord to David, and he tells him this story, this rich man comes and takes the one precious lamb from the poor man. And look at here at David's self-righteousness. He's angry, and, and David can't even see that Nathaniel, that God is talking about him. He can't see it. David rises up in anger and said, this man needs to die. This man needs to pay. And he goes on to say, this man needs to pay fourfold for what he, he, he stole from this man. You know what David's actually doing there? When David says, he shall restore the lamb fourfold, he's actually quoting Mosaic law. He's quoting from the book of Exodus where it does say, if you kill a man's sheep or you still steal a man's sheep, you shall repay it fourfold. So David in his self-righteousness is angry saying that man should, he should die. And he's also quoting scriptures showing how this man is in error. Does that not capture human nature or what? I tell you one thing I observe with people in myself is we cannot see our own problems. We cannot see our own faults. We do not have the ability to. I can see what's wrong with you from miles away. You can see my faults from miles away, but I cannot see what's wrong with me and you cannot see what's wrong with you. That is how us human beings are. Maybe that's why Christ Jesus tells us, remove the plank out of your eye before you try and go get the speck out of someone else's eye. Maybe that's why he says that. Oh, the human nature just baffles me sometimes. Just baffles me how we are unable, we fail to see our own errors. But boy, we can spot it out. We can spot out that tiniest mistake in everyone else. Well, you could line everyone up in front of me. Well, this is what's wrong with him. This is what's wrong with her. Well, this is what she's done wrong. This is what he done. You come to me, I don't know. I'm doing pretty good. Nothing wrong with me. That, that's really what boils down. That's what we think of ourselves. 
this, this story of King David, we can look down on him and say, oh, man, what an idiot. He had it all. All it captures is human nature. David doesn't even know that Nathaniel and God are, are, are blaming him, are pointing the finger at him. David, in his self-righteous, gets angry. He quotes that scripture. Now, I need you to remember something, okay, because we're going to move on from this point. But I need you to remember how David quotes that scripture about repaying fourfold. Okay, remember that. Put that in the back of your mind for a while. The number fourfold, that means four times. Okay, whatever damage you did, you need to pay back four times the amount in order to be right according to Mosaic law. Remember that number, four times. Okay? So 2 Samuel, we'll keep reading. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 says, And Nathanael said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives unto thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have given you more. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives from before thine eyes and give them unto your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before all the son. Note God's anger. Why is he so angry? Because David was supposed to be the king. He was supposed to represent the Lord and represent the nation of Israel. And he can't control himself can't control his own urges and the Lord is angry with David and it's scary because God says now you did this here's some stuff that's going to happen to your house now now that you did this goofy thing in secret I'm going to do things revealed to everyone to see skip down to verse 14 it says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasions to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the children of the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Brothers and sisters, what a mess. What a giant mess David has made. What a, what a colossal nightmare. David, why couldn't you have just looked away from Bathsheba? Why couldn't you have just said, that's somebody else's wife. Can't do that. Now look at this mess that he has created. You know, I, I think one of the reasons that God is so angry with David, because you can see God ang God's anger towards David, I think one of the reasons is because David, by his deed, gave ammunition to the rest of the world of non-believers to blaspheme the name of God. He, he's given them ammunition to say, see, I told you that Bible wasn't true. See, I told you the Hebrew God wasn't even real. I told you he didn't even exist. That's why God is saying, you have given the enemies of the Lord great occasion to blaspheme my name now, David. But that's why he's so mad. That's why, maybe that's why in the New Testament it tells us to walk the talk and to talk the walk. We gotta walk what we talk. Amen? 
Oh, that Bible is just a bunch of baloney. See, I told you. The Lord is not happy with it. So, David, remember, David is a man of God, and he messed up. So, listen to David's response. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away your sin. Thou shalt not die. So David, finally, after all this covering up, he owns it. Okay, he owns up and says, I did it. I sinned against the Lord. Now, I do believe that, that David genuinely repents before the Lord. I do believe that David is broken. How do I know that? Because be, due to this situation, David pens the 51st Psalms. Okay, we're going to read just a part of that right now. Psalms 51, verse 1. And my, my Bible has a little subnote that says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. David writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done evil in this sight. That thou might be justified when thou speak and be clear when thou judges. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. David says, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, God. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, David says, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now that psalm goes on, but you can see it captures David's brokenness. He knows that he screwed up. He knows he made a, He knows he misrepresented God. He misrepresented the nation of Israel. And he's saying, God, cleanse me. Forgive me, Lord. I'm so sorry, Lord. I think that's very beautiful. And at times, when I fail, I turn to the 51st Psalm. And I read it. In my prayer, I read it to the Lord. Lord, purge me with hyssop. Cleanse me, Lord. Lord, take away my iniquity. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's a very beautiful psalm, and it captures David's brokenness. It captures his repentant heart, his repentant attitude towards God. Okay, so I believe David is genuinely broken and repentant before the Lord. He acknowledges his sin. He repents and New Hope, listen to me now. The blunders that we make, if we truthfully repent with, in being genuine and sincere, God does forgive us. Matter of fact, we have it in writing. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the big blunders, He will cleanse us from our sins. We have it there. It's a promise of God. We have it in writing to hold on to that and thank God for that Scripture. So I believe, I genuinely believe that the Lord does forgive David. 
He forgives him. He sees that he's truthful and genuine and sincere. And God forgives David, okay? However, now listen closely now. God does forgive David, okay? He forgives him of this giant blunder. But we have to remember that sin still has consequences. Let me give you an example. If I hop in my car as soon as church is over, and I think the speed limit out here is 45 miles an hour, if I go 100 miles an hour, and I see the sirens behind me, and the patrolman gets my license and registrations, and he says, but you're going a little fast, and does all the stuff he needs to do. Oh, I can say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I broke the law. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. And if in truth, God will forgive me. But it's not going to stop the patrolman from handing me the ticket saying, you now owe $100. Do you understand that? That is the consequence. Yes, we can be forgiven, but it doesn't take away the consequences. Many times it does not take them away. Listen to me now. If I choose, another example, if I choose to drink and drive, and, and I go out there and I hit someone else, and I damage their vehicle, I cause bodily harm, or maybe even take someone's life, I can go before the Lord and say, Lord, look what I've done. Forgive me, Lord. I was drunken, and look what I did. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, Lord. And God will forgive me. But it doesn't bring that person back. It doesn't bring the damage back that you've caused. Do you see that sin has consequences? It does have consequences. Now, God is faithful and just to forgive me and you of all of our sins. But it ain't going to undo the damage you did. Sin has consequences, oftentimes irreversible. Okay? Christ teaches to forgive 70 times 7. We are to forgive. We're to be forgiving people. He even teaches us how much to forgive. Forgive if people sin against you. Forgive them because I do that to you. Even if you have a big blunder, I forgive you. But his warnings about sin all through this book are because of the consequences of sin. Listen now. Sin causes damage. It causes separation from God. The fallout after a sin has occurred is tremendous many times. The collateral damage that occurs after a sin can be immeasurable. The wake of destruction that is left after sin has manifested can be unbearable. There's a big body count now behind David. Behind this big wake of sin in the aftermath of his deed. Yes, he can be forgiven to the Lord. Yes, he can be restored to the Lord. But there's still tons of people that he's damaged in the process. Now listen, let's go back to David's self-righteous anger. Remember I told you to remember that number fourfold, four times? Number one, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. says, And Nathanael departed unto his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and laid all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. There's number one, church. There's one repayment to the Uriah the Hittite. 
the, the first casualty of David's sin. That's number one. Number two, David had a son named Amnon, okay? David had a daughter named Tamar. Well, Amnon had this weird thing for his sister Tamar. He wanted to have her, and he actually goes and get her, and Tamar says, don't, don't do this. What are you doing? Don't do this thing. But Amnon doesn't listen. He rapes his sister. Now, these are David's children, King's David's children. Okay, so Amnon rapes his own sister, Tamar, and ruins her, ruins her life. Well, David has another son named Absalom. Absalom says, Tamar, what's wrong? What's going on? And Tamar tells Absalom what happened. And Absalom hates his brother, Amnon. Okay, so he hates him. Listen, he, he devises this plan to kill his brother. Absalom is going to kill his brother, Amnon. And they're going to see sheep shearers or something like that. They're going to travel. And Absalom says, hey, come on with me, Amnon, come on. Okay, and we're going to start reading in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 28. It says, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, I have commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. Listen, and the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose, and every man got on his mule and fled. So Absalom kills Amnon. That's number two. You remember our magical number this morning is fourfold. So there's two of David's children struck dead. As a consequence of David's sin. Okay? Two people dead now. Number three, David's son Absalom. Okay, we just mentioned him. As he starts to grow, he pretty much tries to usurp the kingdom from his father. Okay, he causes a lot of division, Absalom does, and it ends up separating David's house and Absalom's house, and Absalom tries to get people to follow him, and David's wondering what in the world's going on. It's his own son, his own flesh and blood. His own son's trying to steal the kingdom from him. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9 says, And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick bow of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heavens and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Now, if you read earlier descriptions of Absalom, he was actually a very handsome man, and he had very long, lots of hair. Actually, my kids and I laughed, because I think the, the, the Bible actually says that Absalom had almost five pounds of hair. He had lots of flowing hair. What the Bible's saying is, as he was riding on a mule or a horse or something, he went under a low-hanging tree, and his hair gets caught up in this thick bow of an oak tree, and the mule keeps going, so Absalom's flailing around. He's just hanging there in this oak tree. Okay, that's really what it's saying. Let's, let's go to verse 14, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thus thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. There's number three. Three dead sons of David. There, there's three. Remember our magical numbers, fourfold. 
He shall repay fourfold. David in his own self-righteous anger said, Hey, that man, whoever that is, needs to pay four times for what he did. So there's number three, Absalom, another son of David's, dead. Okay, here we get to number four. David has another son named Adonijah. Okay? Adonijah also tries to swipe the kingdom from an aging King David. David's starting to get old. Adonijah wants the kingdom. He tries to swipe it. Doesn't this sound like David's family's a mess? David, couldn't you have just looked away? Couldn't you just have looked away when you saw her and you knew she was someone else's? Just look away, David. So Adonijah, he wants to swipe the kingdom from his aging father. Well, the kingdom was already going to be Solomon's. Okay, remember King Solomon? He was very wise and one of the wisest ones ever. Well, the kingdom was going to be Solomon's. Adonijah tries to swipe it from Solomon. So naturally, Solomon and Adonijah butt heads. Okay, they don't like each other. Okay, so we'll read in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which has established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, this is Solomon, and who hath made me in house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jedahiah, and he fell upon him that he died. There's magical number four. Four dead children of King David. Four dead sons. In David's own self-righteousness, he said, that man, whoever that man is, Nathaniel, he needs to pay four times for what he stole. Well, one could argue, one could say that King David repaid Uriah the Hittite fourfold for what he stole. Look at, look at this mess. Look at, the, look at the dead bodies behind King David, behind his mistake. Look at it. Look at this story. What a disaster. David, couldn't you have just looked away? I'm going to ask for the band to come up. We, we need to bring this to a close. And as they make their way, listen, there, there's a reason I believe that the Lord had us here in 2 Samuel this morning. It's to avoid sin. To run away from sin. Look away. Don't look at it. Don't let it be a temptation. Turn away from it. Close your eyes to it. Don't set it before you. Run away from sin. Avoid sin at all costs. Turn away from it. Resist the devil. Do what you got to do. But flee from sin. Run from the temptations. It's not worth it. The cost is too steep. Look at this example we have in 2 Samuel. David gives in, can't control himself. He gives in to this urge and look at his house. He's got four dead sons now because of the, the damage that he has caused. Yes, the Lord forgave him. I'm not telling you that Lord, Lord will not forgive you, but there's still consequences to our actions. There's consequences if you speed. There's consequences if you drink and drive. There's consequences when you try to cover up and hide your sins. Brothers and sisters, it's not worth it. It is not worth it. The Bible says to give no occasion to sin. Ephesians 4 says neither give place to the devil. Give no place for him. Whatever tempts you, brothers and sisters, 
completely avoid it. If you're susceptible to alcoholism, don't go near any drinks. If you're susceptible to looking at things you shouldn't look at on a computer, throw your computer out of the house or your phone or whatever it is. Go with no devices. Better to enter into heaven maimed than be thrown into the pit of hell. Brothers and sisters, avoid sin. Listen now. James tells us that when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is there, it, it, when sin is finished, it produces death. Look, look at this story that we have with David. Oh, there was that little seed of lust conceived in him. And, and it produced a sin. And then it kept on going. And David was there trying to cover it all up, trying to hide it all up. It conceived, it manifested, it grew, and it produced death. And David lost four sons over it. There, the, the sword never left David's house as a punishment. It, it never left, there was always fighting. Tamar ended up getting raped. His daughter by a brother. What a, what a disaster. Brothers and sisters, sin isn't worth it. Sin is not worth it. Run away from it. Turn away from it. Nip it in the bud. Whatever it is, nip it in the bud. The, the price is too steep. Sin has consequences. Sin has repercussions. Avoid it altogether. Listen to the message of the Bible. Run from it. That's why we have this story here in the Word. To take this warning. To take this example. To see how David failed. Everything was going good for him. But he trips and he stumbles and he fails and creates this huge catastrophe. I wonder how it would have been had David just avoided it. Or even if he did fall, if he would have just confessed and said, I did it instead of trying to cover it up and getting Uriah killed. How would this have story turned out? Maybe his house wouldn't have been destroyed. Maybe his own sons wouldn't have taken the kingdom from him or tried to. Maybe he wouldn't have buried four of his sons. What a disaster. No hope, I beg every last one of you. Avoid sin. Run away from sin. Don't give any place to it. Don't give it a millimeter. Don't give it, let it hook you. Don't let it grab you. Don't let it throw a chain around you. Because all it wants to do is ultimately separate you from God. That's what it does. Amen. I'm going to bring this to a close. As the band begins to sing, these altars are open. New hope, run away from sin. The price is too steep. Amen.